we're going to continue our series, a very, very long series, uh, Crazy Church, which is on the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians, we've been going through it, and we are in chapter 15, so it's been a long series, and chapter 15 is a long chapter, so we're not going to cover that in one week, but um, it is actually a very, very important chapter. It is actually one of the most important chapters, you would have to say, in the entire Bible. Why is that? Because it deals with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is really important. This is like the center point of our belief system. Jesus being raised from the dead. Paul says if he wasn't raised from the dead, we've wasted our lives. It's pretty important. Could you trust, could you follow a leader that offers you eternal life, but is dead? It's like, it's like someone broke offering you a get rich scheme. There's a word for that. It's called scam. (laughs) You can't believe that. And so if you want to get wealthy, you go to someone who is wealthy and you ask them how they did it, right? And so if we want to have an eternal future, which we are promised in Scripture, we go to someone who did that. And so the Apostle Paul is covering that in this chapter. But before we go into the reading, I just want to pray. Can we do that? Father, we hand over this morning to you. We ask for your leading, your guidance. We pray, Holy Spirit, that this information that we take will not just be information, but be the Word of God. That you would flow through me, through my thoughts, through the thoughts of your people, And what is of you, let it take deep root and let it grow and let it bear fruit. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to go straight into the middle of chapter 15 because I want to go and talk about what this is about before we go back into the introduction, okay? Sometimes you know how uh, you can read something and you're not quite sure what the context is, and so it doesn't really make sense. So we're going to go into the context, uh, and we're going to try and understand what's going on, and then we'll go back to the start and see how Paul starts developing this argument. So why don't you read with me? We're going to read from verse 12. So that's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. It's a little bit... We're not going to cover the whole of chapter 15 here because it's a long chapter. But Paul also says that in the next part of the scripture, he talks about us, eternal life, and what that looks like with our bodies being resurrected. So where were we? Verse 15. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. He's saying, hey, we saw him and we told you if there is no resurrection from the dead, then we're lying. 
But he did not raise him if, in fact, the, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your future is futile. You are still in your sins. Then, all, then those also who have fallen asleep are lost uh, in Christ, are lost. If only for this life we have the hope in Christ, we are all, uh, we of all people are most to be pitied. What he's saying is that, hey, if you think, you know, Jesus is a great teacher, which he was. He's an amazing teacher. He's a great man. He, he is an amazing philosophy. That is all true. But if that's all you have for this life, we of all people are most to be pitied. That is not all. There is an eternal destiny, so Paul tells us. Now, what is going on here? Well, when you remember the days when, uh, for some reason, we don't have cordial anymore that much. Do you remember when we used to have cordial all the time? Like, all the time. When I was a kid, there used to be cordial everywhere, right? You know, those big, uh, those big uh, water coolers, and you'd have that tap down the bottom. Uh, some of the younger ones have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. Um, but, you know, every now and again, you'd, you'd have some cordial that had been sitting there forever, and all the ice had melted, and it was just basically colored water. All right. Okay, so it's kind of that that's happened in the Corinthian church. They've taken something awesome, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they've, and they've got other cultural messages that have diluted the gospel to, to such a point where it's not the same anymore. And Paul, Paul is warning them, and they say, he's like, hey, you're losing this. Your faith depends on this, and you're losing the potency of the gospel. So let me explain what's going on. In that culture... In that culture, you know how when you step into a different culture, like you go overseas, people see things a different way. Have you noticed that? Like, I'm not talking when you go to New Zealand, like, because New Zealand is very much like Australia, like, but with more sheep. But, you know, the, I'm not talking about something pretty close to us. I'm talking about when you go to, like, India or a village in India. There's, there's a completely different belief system, right? You know, cows are sacred. Or if you go to Africa, there's a belief. Now, if we step back 2,000 years ago into ancient Greece, how they thought was completely different. How they felt was, is that the body, well, the body was evil, but the spirit was good. Okay? So the body was like a jail to the spirit. And so when the body died, it was like the spirit was free. And they're like, with that sort of mentality, why would there be resurrection from the dead? Why would your body, like Jesus, rose from the dead? Why would your body be redeemed? But the Christian belief system is completely different, is that the body was created by God, is actually good, and will be redeemed and glorified, just like Jesus' body was, yeah. all right? And he would, you know, the, the glorified body is different. He could walk through walls. That would be pretty cool. But mainly, just remember, Jesus, after he was resurrected, ate. He was hungry. So here's some good news for you. There's going to be food in heaven. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> Maybe, no, not coffee. That's of the, no, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, man, I don't drink coffee, by the way. I, I, you know, and people look at me like I'm not a Christian in this church. <laughs> I, don't, I just don't like it. I don't like the taste of it, but... So, see, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. So they had this mentality, and culture, the culture of the day in Corinth and ancient Greece started to impact the culture of the church. And people started to say, hold on, there's no resurrection of the dead. No one believes that anymore. 
That's such an archaic idea. That's just a, a conservative, whatever it is. That's an idea that's not real. We don't believe that. And so Paul says, hold on. If you do not believe that there is resurrection, that we are raised from the dead, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if that's what you're saying. Paul is a master uh, philosopher. He's a great thinker, all right? So he's joining the dots for them. If there is no resurrection of the dead, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And what you're saying is we are liars because we say we saw Jesus from the dead. And the gospel that you believe is actually no gospel at all because it's based on Jesus from the dead. So you've lost it. Do you understand what, where he's going with this? Now, we learned something before we go into the main text. We learned something really important here. Are you with me this morning? We're going somewhere. Stick with me, all right? We're going somewhere with this. I know it's a lot of background. We need to be judicious about what we take on and incorporate into our belief system. It will impact our lives. Where do you, maybe you're a young adult, maybe you are a uh, high school student, maybe you are, you know, in, in the corporate world or in, in industry, and the question I have for you is where do you go for the most important questions of life? Where do you go? Because what you believe and what you take on has bigger implications. These guys took on what was in culture and said there is no resurrection. Okay, cool, whatever. We'll find out when we die. But apparently it had big implications on the gospel, on their belief system, on their salvation. Where do we go for the most important question? Do we just go to culture? Where do we go about questions of life, of identity, of sexuality, of purpose and of meaning. Where do we go for that? The answer is simple. TikTok. <laughs> and if you're an adult and you're not 16 years old, it's Twitter. That's where you go. I'm being sarcastic, obviously. But we live in a generation that forms our belief, our belief systems on opinion and social trends. It's like, if enough people say it, it must be true. This is not a good thing. And when we just take on something that everyone believes, like our friends believe or everyone says, and we make it part of our belief system, it actually starts to impact things in ways that we did not even imagine. And we generally see that over decades, over time over time. So it's really important that we be judicious, we be careful on what is said, and we think about what we are affirming to be true. So Paul, now with that in mind, we're going to go back to the start of the chapter and watch Paul building his argument, all right? This is something that you probably won't realize about the Apostle Paul. We see him as a pastor, which he is, but he's also one of the greatest philosophers that have ever lived and has had, has had a lot of impact on Western society, on the way we think. And so he is, he is a great, uh, he, he's, he's great with logic, and he puts forward this, um, this narrative. And we're going to go back to the start of chapter 15. You with me? Yeah. Okay, all right, cool. Let's go back to chapter 15, the start, the start of chapter 15. It says, that verse, verse 1, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received 
and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. Everyone say saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, you're saved if, okay? He's pointing out that this is really important. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Everyone say believed in vain. You don't want to believe in vain. You don't want to live your life believing something and then realize there's no effect off it. That's not a good place to be. My first point is, is here. My first point in this that Paul points out that truth matters. Truth matters. He's pointing out that if you believe something false, you're going to live in a way that is false. You're going to lead your family in a way that is false. Community is going to be uh, impacted by the falsehood, and you're going to go down a path that is false as a community and as a nation, as the world. Truth actually matters. What you believe impacts your life, impacts other people, impacts eternity. That's just a fact. You know, we don't get just to believe anything. It really does matter what we believe. And it seems, you have the, you've heard that idea that you're, you, you know, what you believe is, uh, is good for you. Uh, what, how do they say it? Um, your, your belief is what you believe and what I believe is what, what I believe. And it's like, let's, let's just have different truths. How does that work? As an engineer, I will tell you that there is only one way to build a bridge. And you don't want to, you don't want to have a mechanic who has a different understanding to build you a bridge, because you will die. There's a certain way of building things. Gravity acts on all things. There is truth, there is up and there is down. There are things that work and things that don't. And it's okay, now I'm not saying that you know, it's my job to go and convince everyone of the truth. No, that's not my job. My job is to preach the Bible and let everyone go on their own journey. It's not our job either to go and convince people of the truth, but it is our job to actually consider what we are, we, what we are letting into our hearts and forming our belief systems. We've got to be judicious. We've got to consider these things, especially, uh, uh, you, you know, if you're a young person and you're a, a lot on social media, there are so many things that come into your perspective, into your eyes that can form your perspective before you even, before you even realize it. And so before you let things into your heart, we've got to understand that truth matters. Once you turn to someone and say, truth matters, that's our first point. So Paul is saying that the, believing the truth is the diff, in, in this particular case is the difference between salvation and living in vain because it actually matters. Not all roads lead to Rome. Now let's keep moving. What I received, I passed on to you is of first importance. Here he goes again. It's of first importance, really important. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Everyone say scriptures. Christ died according to the scriptures that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Everyone say scriptures. Second point, my second point is scripture matters. You know, Paul points back to scripture and the prophecy about Jesus, he, just, he said, doesn't just point to his own experience. He points to the collective history of biblical inspiration. 
You know when you go overseas, you got this little book. What is it? You go you, and, and they stamp it. It's a passport. Now, why do you have a passport? Anyone? <laughs> not a rhetorical. Identification, that's right. Why is it not enough that I go in front of someone and go, hey, I'm Kim, Kim Anthony from Brisbane, son of Melvin. All right, is, is, isn't that enough? No, it's not enough. They want something. They want some identification. They want you to prove that you are who you say you are. And there is this bigger organization, this body called the Australian government, of which you are a citizen, and they issue you this passport saying, this guy looks like this, and he's about this tall, and about this high, and he has this sort of color, and he's not allowed to smile. Okay? And, um, and this, is, this is who he is, right? So I walk into a country, I walk into Indonesia, and I go, here's my passport, and uh, my name is Kim Anthony. He's like, prove it. There you go. It's my passport. I've got the whole backing of the Australian government behind me. So Paul, here he is. He's saying, look, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again. He died for us, he rose again. But it's not just my opinion. Don't just believe me. Don't just believe my experience. Here's the whole body of Scripture that is here to back me up. Do you know your scripture? <laughs> so Paul says, 700 years ago, he points back to, uh, um, to, to Isaiah, who said, who talked about Jesus dying, the suffering servant that would die for everyone's sins, 700 years before Jesus came. He points, he, he's talking about the scripture, which is Psalm 22, which would talk about the, the crucifixion of Jesus. Now check this out, this is kind of cool. Psalm 22 talks about crucifixion hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. Paul points back to Psalm 16 verse 10 that talks about the Holy One not seeing decay, which is talking about Him rising from the dead. In Matthew chapter 12 verse 40, Jesus says, I will be uh, like Jonah was in the, in the, bellies, uh, the fish's belly for three days. I will be in the heart of the earth. So Paul points to this whole body of Scripture and says, this is not just my idea. This is from Scripture. Perhaps one of the greatest examples of the work of Jesus Christ was seen in Abraham and Isaac. Did you, do you remember that story? Abraham was called out by God. He said, come follow me. And he left his, his wider family. He took his wife. He took his, his nephew Lot. And he followed God on the greatest adventure of his life. Over time, he grew rich. And God gave him a promise. He said this, from you, many nations will come. However, he had no children. And he was getting old. It's hard to believe something when you don't see it for a very long time. And all your experience says, it's too late. But in an impressive feat of manliness... Abraham, in his old age, bears a son. He was 100 years old. That's pretty good, right? He's got, all, he's got the respect of all our fellows in, in the house. The promised one. And then one day, God told Abraham, go sacrifice your son. Now, this is amazingly grotesque for us in the modern world to think, this is not the God of the Bible. God doesn't require sacrifice of people that was Molech but here it is in scripture he says sacrifice your son where this is really important Mount Moriah everyone say Moriah 
Moriah, Mount Moriah. Go take your son to Mount Moriah. You can read this in Genesis 22, verse 9 to 13. Take your son to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. Whoa. Abraham went with his son and two servants. And in three days, everyone say three days. Three days he reached the mountain. He took his son, his left his two servants at the foot of the mountain, took his son, and he bound his son. He built the altar, he bound his son. Now, it's really important to understand that his son was not a little boy. He was a grown man. He carried the wood upon his shoulders, the Bible tells us. Abraham was an old man. The young man could have overpowered the old man, but the old man said, this is the will of God, and the young man was complicit in the act. Do you understand? Do you see what's happening? And he lies down, and he is here going to be sacrificed, and Abraham goes to sacrifice his son. He lifts up his hand, and this is what happened. We can read about it in Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. uh, Genesis chapter 22, verse 9, and he says this. When they reached the place... God had told him about this Mount Moriah. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught in his horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. He received his son back from the dead, so to speak. Thousands of years later, Jesus would walk into into Jerusalem, which was built on Mount Moriah. This time, again, a father would be asked to give up his son. A son would be asked to be complicit in the sacrifice and obey. This time, however, there would be no scapegoat. This time, the Lamb of God would be sacrificed for our sins. But like last time, the father would receive back his son. The son who chose to obey would receive the benefits of the promise. Do you see the pictures? There is something bigger going on than our opinion and culture. There is something that God is doing. And if we are not in line with truth, in line with scripture, then we are in line with culture. Now, sometimes they go hand in hand, but sometimes we need to make a choice. And Paul is saying to live powerfully, to live with purpose, to live with direction, to live with eternity in mind, truth matters, scripture matters. Truth matters, scripture matters. He's building this argument that he then uses to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He goes on in chapter 5. Are you with me this morning? I know this is a lot of information. This is getting kind of deep, but this is a deep part of scripture. Like I said, it's one of the most important parts of uh, of the entire Bible, I would say, one-off. And it says this in in verse Five. We're back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5. And then he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 
of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Now, I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but the, but the historical backing for the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection is so incredibly strong. Paul is saying, look, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe scripture, there's 500 guys that Jesus appeared to once he rose from the dead, go speak to them. There's the apostles, there's people out there that in my time, in, in our time, in Paul's time, have experienced the resurrected Christ. This is not a joke. This is not something that I'm making up to make a point. We have great reason to believe what we believe. We have great reason to believe in the authenticity of Scripture. You know, some people have this idea, oh, you know, it's been changed. No, no, you're just talking nonsense. Go and have a look at the proof. You're taking something from culture and overlaying it on biblical truth. Go and have a look at the research. Have a look. Does truth matter to you? Does truth matter or are you just going to take an opinion and superimpose it on what you would like to believe anyway? We have strong evidence for what is written in this world. We have strong evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't have too much more time to go through that. But here's the next part of it. And we're going to end here in, in, in verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. Now, here's something that you may or may not know about Paul. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was jailing Christians. He hated the, 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 what he called the sect like a little cult called Christians. He was jailing them, and he gave permission for the murder and the stoning of Stephen. That's who Paul was. But, but, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not me, whether then I, whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. What Paul is saying here is that truth, scripture, and our experiences lead to transformation in people's lives. It transformed his life. It transformed him. There's a question we've got to ask ourselves. Are, are we transformed? Are we being transformed? Because if we are seeking truth, we are going to scripture, aligning ourselves with the will and the purpose of God. The natural result is personal transformation. You know, as people, it's natural, I do it as well. Sometimes we can look at the world and we can say, look at all the problems. Look, what, look what's going on there. They're doing that wrong. They're doing that wrong. They're doing that wrong. And probably most of it is correct. But that's not what we're responsible for. We're responsible for what God is doing in our hearts. Is there personal transformation? I have to ask myself, when I look at my life two years ago, am I different now? Because if I am encountering scripture, if I'm encountering truth, there's got to be transformation. If I'm around the people of God in fellowship, there's got to be personal transformation. Have you heard that term, hurt people, hurt people? That's true. But also transform people, initiate transformation in other people. What our communities need is not another program. It's not a, a, another great these are all valuable things. It's not essentially great policy. It needs to transform people by the work of Jesus Christ to then go out and initiate transformation in other people's lives. It's always a personal work. It's always a personal work of what God is doing. There was one man. 
There was one man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that transformed the world as we know it. I want to end with this, the gospel. The gospel is this, that you and I are under the weight of sin. Our own sin and other people's. We all feel it. There's shame, there's guilt. And Jesus came. He took all of that upon his own shoulders. He took that upon himself and he died because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And through acceptance of this gift, our hearts are transformed. See, Christianity is not a belief system by itself. It's not just an ethical way of living. It's not just a philosophy. It's a transformation of a person. It's a transformation of who we are, essentially. Now, it is important to have knowledge. It's important to seek truth. As we've talked about that, it's important to have scripture. But all of that, if it doesn't land in hearts being transformed and lives being changed, what's the point? And so the challenge to you and to me is, is that transformation. And, you know, you might, you might just have a look and you say, hey, look, I don't see that. I don't see that transformation that I believe should be happening if, if I really was encountering the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, there is a way back from that. It's called repentance. That's all it is. It's to realign yourself again with the work of God. Say, God, I see you in Scripture. I see what you're doing. You're creating for yourself a church, a people, a bride, a different way of living, a different mindset, a welcoming, embracing culture that, that is not based on power dynamics, but is based on, on family. I belong here because I'm in Christ Jesus. And I know there's so much content today and I was just trying to get through chapter, half of chapter 15. And, but with all these thoughts and all this stuff that has been said, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will move upon your heart and you would, have, you would be able to recognize some truth that He drops into your heart. Maybe it's nothing I've even said. Maybe God just spoke into your heart. We all sense our brokenness. We all sense our need. And what we preach here in this church and churches all over this country is that that finds its resolution in the person of Jesus Christ. Guilt, shame is taken on the cross. What is offered to us is hope, righteousness, freedom, and abundant life. As we spend a moment just between you and God, what is one thing that you've, that you've taken from this? All that has been said.
every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're in here this morning and you have never experienced or made a decision to follow Jesus, but you know there's something on your heart right now. God, God has placed something on your heart and you've experienced something this morning. You've experienced truth. You've been convinced of Scripture. And there's some sort of transformation that is happening. Maybe it's just, just beginning. But if that's you this morning, uh, I want you to do one thing. Just to, with no one looking around, in just a second, I want you to raise your hand so I can identify you and I can find you after church and I can pray with you. So if you're, if you're in that mindset, you're saying, yeah, I want to I follow. Uh, there's something that God is doing and I want to I take a step in that direction. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand just right now. Is there anyone here? God is doing something in your heart and you know it. Awesome. Let's stand together, shall we? gonna get the team up here can we do the blessing that would be awesome